recent article printed in the Washington Post was entitled, Holy Spirits, Emphasis on the Plurality of Spirits. It was an article that documented the growing trend of old churches that are no longer in use being turned to brew pubs. Thus the pun, Holy Spirits. It began some years ago. It's actually, I believe, in Pittsburgh. Uh, it was the first of these. It was called the Church Brew Works. Uh, about 10 of these are in existence right now, and another four that are planned for the next current, uh, next year. So a total of 14 old churches, which are now being turned into breweries. Now, uh, true confessions that Jennifer and I actually went to the one in Pittsburgh, and I, I tell you, it left me deeply, deeply ambivalent. Uh, I don't have any, uh, well, reconstituting a church for a purpose, if it's not being used, I'd much rather see the beautiful building maintained in some way, shape, or form, but what was, was unsettling and led to this ambivalence was seeing these churches that somebody had built, someone had poured in their love and their, their TLC, uh, and now it was being repurposed for something that was certainly not in the original uh, minds of the builders. So you'd see these stained glass windows to the memory of somebody or to father so-and-so. And it just left me a little bit sad. Um, and again, it's not for the reusing of a, of a church, a space that's been deconsecrated and no longer functioning. It's just the lack of Whatever it was that led to the, that many people giving that sacrificially and to have that civic pride to build that thing that is no longer, no longer there. And so this is sadly something that we're likely to see more of. Churches thinking, now what are we going to do with these buildings that there's simply no one in? If you were to ask the man on the streets, woman on the streets, what is the current state of Christ's church, that person would, with good evidence, say, well, pretty gloomy. Uh, this being, you don't need to look at this example to evidence of the gloominess. You'd point to what appears to be petty and fractious conversations, declining attendance, uh, a lack of influence in the world, and you say, yeah, pretty gloomy. If you were to look at the future destiny of the church, ask that same uh, man or woman on the street, so not just the present state, what's the future state of the church? Uh, that person would respond even gloomier. <laughs> this trend is not likely to uh, reverse itself in any time in the near future, and so the, whatever influence the church now has is, is certainly on the decline, sure, a few people will hang on to these dying vestiges and want some sort of consolation as they go to the next world, but the church has any influence, uh, any significant role is certainly a thing of the past. What's the church's present state? Gloomy. What's the church's future destiny? Well, even gloomier. And while this person, this man on the street, would be perfectly justifiable and have plenty of empirical evidence to point to uh, justify his assessment, he would be absolutely wrong. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Here we have a great statement of the actual current state of Christ's church. I'm not saying all, that, all those things that that man or woman on the street identified are not true, but there is something deeper and more true about the church. And when I say church, I'm not, I'm not just referring to uh, a group of people, I'm referring to its members, you and me as well. What is the current state of Christ's church? Well, we're told in verse 3, 
You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is the current state of the church? It is hidden. It is hidden with Christ. What is your current state? As uninspired you, as you may feel, and you often feel uninspired, as disconnected from the Lord as you may feel, and we often feel disconnected, that is only part of the truth. There is a deeper truth, and that is through faith, through this powerful word called faith, we are bound indissolubly with Christ so that our life is now hidden with him. That's good news. Not the, note the comprehensiveness of this hiddenness. Note our past. Look at verse 3. Note the past tense. For you have died. Back up a verse and note that you have been raised. Those are all verbs that occur past tense. Died and raised, past tense. Your current life is now hidden, this present moment. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Past, present, future. Had been, is now, and will be hidden with Christ. It's a comprehensive hiddenness that you and I have. And because our life is hidden with Christ, because we have this dual residency, that we explored this a little bit last week, because we have a life that is both visible here and now and a life that is hidden as well, the admonition we find in verse 2 makes perfect sense. Set your minds on things that are above. Right? You see that in verse 2? Here's the reality. Your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore, set your mind there on things that are above. I think the best way to make sense of our relationship with Christ now, this hidden aspect, is to think of the analogy of a lover separated from their beloved. Now, Jennifer and I, my wife and I, were engaged in, 19, in uh, 2000, the, the fall of, pardon me, late winter of of uh, 2000, and we were married early, I think my date's right, better get this right. <laughs> when we were married, uh, we, were mar we were engaged in February and married in fall. That means that there was a, a long summer of kind of planning and preparing, and just happened to be a summer in which there was a phenomenal amount of travel. Uh, Jennifer was traveling for her work. I was traveling for my work. I was involved in the youth ministry of uh, the Falls Church, and there was uh, just a phenomenal amount of travel. And our last trip was this trip to uh, a camping ministry called La Vida. Show of hands, anybody? La Vida? Yeah, all right, good. More, more, than, a, more than I anticipated. So La Vida is this camping trip. We were up in Vermont, New York, upstate, wherever we were, we were far, far away. Uh, going on a hike through the Finger Lakes of, of uh, very beautiful countryside. And uh, I was very much absent-minded. While I was in upstate New York physically, there was a very, much, a very significant part of me which was not in upstate New York. And I remember very clearly on a hike, we were hiking on what was, I think, the highest peak in that mountain range. It's not very high by West Coast standards, but we got, it was high enough. Remember this vividly. My first-generation cell phone had like a bar, right? Just high enough altitude that a bar. And so with bated breath, I dialed and waited expectantly. And I, got, and I received Jennifer's roommate on the other line, and she said, wait, 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 wait. And she ran out of our house and grabbed Jennifer as she was driving off. And it was all very pathetic, uh, admittedly. <laughs> But for a moment there, those miles fell away, and we were no longer separated, but there was this, ah, together again. And I know it's pathetic, and I know it's a bit of a stretch of a, an example, but this is analogous to our relationship with Christ. 
We are indissolubly linked to him. Our, our minds are set upon, can we see him? No. We are separated by him or from him by the veil which separates this world from the next. But our minds are set upon him like a lover is, sets their mind on their beloved. Christians should be absent-minded. Set your mind not on things that are earthly. Set your minds on those, thing, those things that are heavenly. We're going to come back to this because I have a suspicion that we are not absent-minded enough. By absent-minded, I don't mean distracted. I simply means I have a feeling that most of us, myself certainly included, are pretty concerned with things that are right here. And I don't have a whole lot of bandwidth for anything other than what I can taste, taste touch, or feel. We're going to come back to that. But you follow the logic. Here is the empirical truth. Notice there's no explanation. This is simply the reality that you and I experience through faith. You're linked with Christ in his death, his re resurrection. You're hidden with Christ now. When he appears, you will appear in glory. Therefore, set your mind upon these things. And as we move forward, we're going to see some of the further results of setting your mind upon Christ. Look at verse 6. Set your mind upon Christ. Set your mind upon things which are above. Verse 6. Therefore, do what? Put to death what is earthly in you. And you can see the catalog of, of misconduct, things that we would broadly categorize under physical immorality. Verse 8. Again, a broad list of misdeeds, which we would categorize, could categorize under fractious conversation, divisive words. Put these things away. This is all an implication of setting your mind on things which are above. And as you set your mind on things which are above, put to death those things which are earthly, put away those things which are earthly, and then put on. Verse 12, put on compassion, kindness, etc., Follow the logic of the passage. We're told first just some declarative statements about your identity. Here's who you are. You're hidden with Christ. Here's what you should do. You should set your mind upon him. Now here's how you should act. And that is thoroughly biblical logic. The Bible always assumes that how you act on the outside, what you do in your body, what you say in your words is simply, simply a manifestation of what's here. What's going on in the inside? So think of uh, Jesus who said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what is of primary importance, not that what you say is not important, but what is of primary importance is what's going on right here. And the same applies. Remember who you are. Set your mind there. And then put these things away. An, an analogy. I'm going to start with a, a historical um, reality to make this analogy. Uh, the human toll of World War I did not end with the fighting on the battle, battlefield. Many soldiers were affected by what we would now label as post-traumatic stress disorder, undiagnosed then, untreated largely then. Uh, one possible manifestation of post-traumatic stress disorder from World War I was actually amnesia. And it makes sense. I mean, we've seen those harrowing scenes from uh, shell shock and, and the soldiers living in trenches in deplorable conditions and just a constant thumping of, of, of bombs. 
amnesia and the mind shutting itself off from the traumatic past seems to be a very reasonable protective a guard uh, that one could do. That did not make much sense. I hope you follow that sentence. But I'm just saying amnesia seems like a likely, a likely response. Back up 100 years, consider the lack of identification, uh, that, and lack of record keeping that would have been part just of the world writ large. And you could imagine hundreds, thousands of soldiers who had no idea who they were. That's bad enough. What makes it even worse is no one else had any idea of who they were either. No record keeping. And so in an actual historical moment, this was occurred in Paris, France, where some hundreds of these soldiers who were afflicted like this, they were, they were brought out onto the public square. Their presence was announced with the hopes that Many, many from across the land would come and just look and say, can I identify this person? This, what a heartbreaking scene as these hopeful families look in anticipation, just hoping to see one of these bewildered soldiers as their own. So that's the actual historical occurrence. Let me add a little element of historic fiction to make a point. Imagine one such soldier who... Uh, who's been afflicted in this way. He's forgotten who he is. Say, let's imagine further that in his uh, amnesia, he's fallen in with the proverbial wrong crowd. The type of crowd is doing the types of things listed in verse 5, the types of things listed in verse 8. Let's imagine further that this soldier is brought out onto that public square. Let's imagine further that there's some voice from the back of the audience that says, I know that person. That is my father, my brother, my son. Let's imagine further that the family that identifies him is some well-respected family which would have nothing to do with these types of activities in verses 5 and verses 8. And now this soldier who's forgotten who he is must re-enter, must relearn, must remember who he is and begin to act accordingly. That's a very similar situation to you and me. Remember who you are. Remember, you're hidden with Christ. Set your mind there. And now, start thinking about the behaviors that are appropriate for who you actually are. Note that the image uh, is, uh, I think, intentionally draws us to clothing, put on, or put on compassion, put on kindness, take off, pardon me, uh, verse 8, now put away, Anger, wrath, put to death, therefore what is earthly in you. This is clothing language. My, uh, much to the chagrin of my second son, Matthew, who's six years old, we've had to discuss that clothing is actually a daily, a daily thing. That you, clothes only last for 20, not 24 hours, clothes last 12 hours. And then you actually have to change them. Clothe yourself daily. Think of our Analogy of our poor soldier who must daily remind himself, this is who I am. The same is true for us. Daily remind yourself, this is who I am. This is the type of clothing that I ought to wear. Did you clothe yourself yesterday? Great. Did you clothe yourself today? <laughs> right? Daily. I've heard it said we're supposed to, the proverbial wisdom is dressed for the job you want, not the job that you have. I think that's a good word. 
Are we dressing for the job that we want? Are we dressing for this? The, hope the analogy makes sense. But that draws us to a question. And uh, if you've been following along, I hope that at least it makes sense. You may not believe it, but I hope the logic makes sense of this is who you are. This is where my mind is set. And therefore, this is how I ought to act. The question that I would be asking if I were you is great. Okay, so if I believe that my life is hidden with Christ, how am I supposed to set my mind there? I work 10 hours a day. My weekends are busier than my weekdays. I barely have enough bandwidth to think about what's for dinner, much less these high and noble lofty thoughts of where my life is hidden and where my mind ought to be set. How, preacher, can I with any expectation be expected to set my mind on things which are on heaven? I've got enough to do with things that are on earth. Isn't that the question you're asking? Yeah, I can see it. You're asking that question. So here's how. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ, here's how you set your mind on things which are above. Three good reminders for us. Number one, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Back to our soldier. I imagine a good portion of his rehabilitation will be simply going through the family photo albums going through the family stories, reminding himself that this is, oh, this is who I am. This is my story. Do not think of your Bible study as some obligation that you have to do, some disciplined chore. No. Opening up the Scriptures is like opening up your photo album, reminding yourself, oh, this is who I am. This is my story. We provide encounters with God there in the back of the church. Pick one up. A very helpful but one of many tools to which we can contemplate Christ. And we have to do that, do that with all the input that you and, I ha- you and I have if we're not setting apart some time to contemplate Christ, to remember who He is, who we are. We'll forget. So that's the first point. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Second point, speak the word of Christ to others. Look at those words, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, what's noteworthy about that passage is it's not in the, in the singular. Those are plural verbs. See, what I think we can imagine is that your job as, as a parishioner is to come and worship and listen to what the preacher has to say, and the preacher's job is to teach and to admonish and thank you, that's enough, and I'll go on my very merry way. I think that image of the church is just insufficient. I think the vision that you have of the church here is of a collective responsibility in which the members of the church all teach, all admonish one another. This is by no means the only passage in which uh, this this type of idea is expressed, that we are to encourage one another. It's not, a, one Sunday sermon is woefully insufficient to set our minds on the things of Christ. Instead, significant spiritual conversations must be a regular part of our church life. Let me paint two examples, and hopefully we can plot a middle course. First example, the church that takes this to an extreme in which every conversation you have is a significantly or spiritually significant conversation. No small talk, uh, no talking about the game, about the gnats, nothing. Everything is deeply penetrating and significant. Now that kind of church would absolutely wear me out. 
However, on the other extreme would be that type of church that I think probably most of us are more comfortable with. That being, this guy talks, you guys listen, and we never say anything else about it. There's got to be a happy medium in which significant spiritual conversations are a regular part of our church life as we admonish and we teach one another. How could this happen? One, testimonies. It's good for you and me to hear about the Lord's work in other people's lives. Number two, take advantage of prayer at the rail. Maybe something that Pornama shared stirred something in you. One of the ways that we teach, admonish, and encourage one another is through that ministry. Number three, what if some, not all, but one on occasion, one of our conversations after service, when something significant came up, that there was a brief pause and we just simply said, let me pray for you right now. Not every conversation has to be weighty and spiritual and heavy, but if we never encourage or admonish one another, there's no way that we'll be able to set our minds on the things above. Spiritually significant conversations need to be a regular part of our life, and I need your help. I really don't know how to do this, but we need to take it to heart and think, is this true of our church? Can it be? Can I be a part of it? Yes, you can. Last thing. So first thing, in order to set your mind on things which are above, what do you do? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Speak the word of Christ to one another. And here's the last thing. You're going to love this. Seeing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the last thing we do in order to set our minds on the things which are above. And you can put this to the test. At the close of our service, we're going to sing a great hymn by Charles Wesley. Love divine, all love excelling. And we're going to sing the very truth that I have just explained. We're going, I've told you, your life is hidden with Christ. And one day he will appear and you will appear with him in glory. And you, I hope you believe it, but did you feel it? Probably not. Now you're going to sing it. And we will sing these words from Charles Wesley, which are, Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation, perfectly restored in thee, as we are changed from glory into glory, until in heaven we take our place, till we cast all our crowns before you. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. And you can do this little litmus test on your own heart. What is it like to hear the words that you are hidden with Christ and you will appear with him in glory? They're true, but seeing the words, our emotions far exceed uh, the capacity for our logic when those words take voice and song. A great blues singer was giving a, a tutorial to um, a younger protege, and he said to this, uh, this blues singer said to the younger protege, boy, you just can't talk it, you got to sing it. It's the same thing for you and me. You can't just talk it, you can't just hear it, you got to sing it. Isn't that great? How do you set your mind on the things which are above? How do you Contemplate these great mysteries which we've been considering. You're hidden with Christ, past, present, and future. One, let the word of Christ dwell with you richly. Two, speak the word of Christ to one another. Three, sing the word of Christ loudly.